It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor, as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, I'm going to call this our green show because we're going to talk about sustainability and leadership um, and sustainable leadership, which, you know, could be green, um, ethical leadership in the age of purpose. And, you know, we, we have talked a lot about leadership. A lot of our conversations come back to leadership. So where are we going today? All right, where we're going today. So right before we hit record, I said, we're going to take this probably where uh, a different place than where we think. And Tom, we're going to take this from a different place than I think what, what you're thinking as well. So the I just put in the chat the different, some of the articles. Now, naturally, when we think about sustainability and leadership and sustainability, we are talking about the green aspect, the community aspect, and, and companies giving back. What little, like it's, so we're talking about this, so we can, we can cover that, but when you look through what the age of purpose is, and there's not a whole lot out there. And when you look at sustainability leadership, I want to take this conversation more towards finding one's purpose in business. It doesn't necessarily have to be like when we look at this concept of CSR, corporate social responsibility. It's more towards finding uh, the organizations, finding their purpose and their purpose with the people and the employees and making sure that the employees are feeling a sense of purpose with the organization. And there's a lot of data out there. I mean, it's been studied in terms of purpose-driven organizations. There were two interesting, and these will be in the show notes. If you're listening to the podcast, you can click on the description. There were two interesting articles on uh, LinkedIn that were written, and of course, then we also have some of the uh, some of the peer-reviewed article um, anecdotes, I guess, that we're talking about t- today. But I'm going to give just a couple 
pieces of data. And then I came up with probably a pretty bad analogy, but it made sense at the time. So I'm going to go with it in terms of, uh, you know, very simple type of business, but looking at some of the, where did it go? Too many docs open. When you look at the, uh, the, the benefits of basic, of being a purpose purpose-driven organization and and finding out what your purpose is. I mean, the, the data is out there. If if you're working towards a purpose, your company is going to be more profitable. So I'm looking at this one article here. This one's called Welcome to the Age of Purpose-Driven Purpose. And this is one of the LinkedIn uh, by Christine Lind uh, article. And there's some data points there in terms of recent studies, what academics have found. Um a recent study shows uh, that there are real advantages when company that companies gain when operating driven by purpose. For example, seventy-five percent of purposeful company involved in this purpose purposeful companies involved in the survey said it creates value in the short term and in the long term. Sixty-six uh, percent of the respondents said they're now profoundly rethinking their organizations and purpose entirely. Um, about 70, 97% of companies that deeply integrate a broader sense of purpose into their DNA reported a good or great deal of incremental value. And 60% say it gives them agility to innovate, to be innovated in times of disruption. So it is one of these, you know, kind of gray areas when we look at sustainability, the age of purpose, and so on and so on. I wanted to break, I was trying to break this down in my mind. And here's the analogy I'm going to go off of candles. If you're, if you, if you run a candle business. So think about when you think about purpose, if you own that candle business, what are candles? They smell good. They create some heat every now and then, and they create gr great ambience, right? But think about what if you decide to redo your purpose in terms of like, think really purposeful, purposefully as a company. What are we doing with the candles? Do we really just want to create, okay, it's a good mood. I haven't seen anything really that's been a you know, purpose-driven candle company. But I thought, what if you were a purpose-driven candle company? What would you think of? What if you were a, what if you made candles and your whole purpose was to really help people have a, uh, a tidy house, a clutter-free home so that the candle can complement the behaviors that lead to the full ambiance, not just of a candle, but of a really nice, you know, we, you know, feng shui type of, of workspace, type of home environment. And what if you did that? Would that lead to innovation? What if it did? What if you said, okay, maybe we can start to, maybe we start to create some marketing campaigns and have an entire website with videos on how to keep your house tidy, how to keep a clean house and how to really get in the mood. What if you started to make candles that, what if you said, okay, now we have a real purpose and that leads to more innovation. What if they started to make a candle, which is a dual candle where it has this divider, a non-heat uh, conducting shield where you could light one candle that was maybe infused with peppermint oil or something like that to really get you going when you want to clean, to create that cleaning ambiance to tidy the house. And then the other side of the candle, for example, was more lavender and, and uh, other infused essential oils so that you can enjoy once you've done have a tidy house in a tidy space that you can enjoy it. 
So think about what that what that is. When you look at some of the, if if anyone has the time to look further into the um to the particular to the articles, which we'll talk about, there's all kinds of things in terms of workforce strategies, um, not not full time work groups where you're looking at the gig economy. All these things, I was able, I was, I'll, I'll pass it over to you in a second, and I won't go too far into that. But I was thinking, if you're a purpose filled candle company and you really have a purpose of this whole tidy house and helping people create the entire aura, not just because of a candle, the innovation, who you're going to have to pull in, the different science aspects of it, the different kinds of freelance workers. It really just drives the company and drives the people to a higher purpose. And there's so much more to do. And there's so much more benefits in the marketing aspect, the sales aspect, the connecting with clients aspect than we make good candles and they smell good. Tom, Jeremy the candle maker. We are now Jeremy the candle maker, and I hope your candles are ready for the Christmas market. You know, you're the CEO, and you now have a purpose for making candles. How do you get your employees to buy in to feel that as a sense of purpose? You might have people that are already drawn to the company that say, "I, I like this." You know, we talk about an employer brand, and so that might be part of the employer brand because maybe you have people who. Maybe you, I don't know, maybe you have this podcast out there like the tidy lady and the, the tidy group. Maybe you have people that buy in and say, hey, I actually want to work for this company because it aligns. But you might also have, that's where you look at the gig economy and these different aspects because the pre the industrial age is a lot different than the post-industrial age in terms of thinking. And that's where uh, when you look at the literature, it's how do we take this mind shift away from management completely? where we're no longer managing people and telling them what to do because by default, people just don't want to be told to do. They want to be able to act during, during their work, like in their work environment based on what they see as their purpose. And a lot of people will find their purpose within that organization as they're working. So you might have people that are drawn to that, but how do you, how do you create buy-in? One way to, there's multiple ways, but one way to create buy-in is to open up the conversations within the organization to help those individuals find out what their purpose. It may have nothing to do with candles, but maybe maybe you have somebody who came from, maybe you have someone who's now working in the logistics department who, I don't know, maybe they made a transition from mental health. So now you can see how, okay, maybe they're really bought in. Now you can start to align that and buy in, get their buy-in by saying, hey, here's how we help people. Here's how we help people create a stress-free environment so that they can deal with life's problems in in a more thoughtful way without a lot of distraction. So it's all about finding out, again, what is important to, to the individual employees and aligning that. Because when you look at, there's a, there's a, um, there's a huge graph on one of the resources we have today. And I can't, I don't have it pulled up. But it's basically, you know, the company's purpose and there's a big circle. And then there's like eight circles around it, like one of those Venn diagrams where the circles intersect. And it's all it says personal alignment, personal alignment, personal alignment. And in the the middle, or I'm sorry, personal purpose all around it. And then in the middle is company purpose. So you have each individual. They have their own purpose, their own lives. But that purpose will start to intersect. And when you start to get away from, hey, the the industrial type of management where it's let's make sure nothing goes wrong and let's make sure people are doing what they're told when you can get away from that and think post-industrial that's one method to get there tom 
I like that a lot. Linda Ann, let's go to you. This topic is like a birthday present, man. I <laughs> This is what I work for with um towards with any organization or individual that I'm I'm working with, right? Because when you look at people coming into the workforce now, they don't really they're not motivated by a company's purpose necessarily, right? They have their idea of what they want to accomplish um professionally in their careers so forth so there needs to be a, alignment between what the company wants to accomplish and how do you get those individuals to connect to that purpose and one of the ways to do that is to help them see how their the organization can help them achieve their personal purpose and and goals professionally while they're helping the company achieve their goals um, as far as business strategy. One of the steps that I have people look at is so often that mission statement is gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. So I, I have them push that aside for a while and <laughs> tell me, and I have them tell me, what is their purpose? Why did they, why was this company started? Why, why do you exist to begin with? And just get that sentence, that clarity of purpose at that level so that it can be communicated. And then you can build that, that integration between, okay, we want to do this because like, we have candles that trigger memories, right? And okay, so how does that help that individual, that 25-year-old that you just hired how does that get them to um, get be excited to show up every day? And so that's where you make that connection into, okay, well, we need to do this. We do this because we trigger memories. And here's your goal. Now let's align those two and have it mean something to you when you come to work and help us as an organization meet our goal. Well, let me ask you, because I can see a lot of companies lose, you know, just losing the alignment of purpose. But, you know, we've gone through a really difficult time for, for businesses and industry where their purpose might have just been to survive. So how do you not lose that sort of greater purpose when, you know, leadership is just worried about paying the bills? Or can you? Yeah, I mean, the the the, the fact that you might be struggling financially, maybe because you're not paying attention to that purpose. And, and don't have those strategies aligned to achieve that purpose. So there's probably some kind of disconnect there if that's where you are. Thank you for that. Richard, let's go to you. Good morning. The irony of all of this is that I have a, I have a client that does candles for, <laughs> for a church, a group of very specific churches. And, and so they, that's one. And then I have another client that handles candles and other things for the meta metaphysical world. So <laughs> the one has the purpose of, um, you know, supporting the mission of like thousands of churches coast to coast um, and preserving a heritage. And they have been, it's a multi-generational business. So not only has the, the purpose of the first generation been so ingrained into the family and the culture of the family 
they've brought it, they've got employees that have been there for 15, 20 years, right? Because they treat them well, they treat them like family and they know that they are driven by, um, you know, what they feel is a higher purpose than just, you know, selling, making and selling candles. And they make really, really good candles. <laughs> so that's one thing. The The other one, then the medical metaphysical side of things, right? These are people who are looking for luck. They're looking for love. They're looking for help with money, you know, and, you know, sometimes we question the ethics of that and all that stuff. But you know, when I look at, you know, run it through the run it through the 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 filters of ethics and uh you know you're not you're, you're not doing harm you're you're um you know providing a uh a benefit you know and um and it's done with care and the thing is what drives them and and these are not people who are the workers are not you know super high well-paid people right they're but they love coming to work because they love how they're treated and they love that they get these testimonials flood in all the time of, I feel better. Oh my gosh, this happened. Oh my gosh, that happened. You know, so I, I think there's, you know, there there's certainly from a leadership perspective, both of these companies, the leadership within e each of these has been tremendous in both the way that they handle the people. And, you know, so it's, even though it's been a long time, you know, company, it's still transformational leadership. I mean, they're always changing and adapting, you know, they've survived through the recession, they've survived through COVID and, you know, and they're, and they're, they're still thriving. Um, and I feel very blessed that I was part of this organization, uh, you know, for the last you know, 12 years or so. <laughs> you know, so I've seen a lot of, a lot of changes and, and a lot of growth. Um, so yeah, there's something to be said for having uh, an organization with a strong purpose beyond just the paycheck okay. or, place to go yeah. is that the secret sauce for all successful companies is the leadership uh there oh i gotta find this article it was very recent we might have even shared it i don't remember but it, the relationship arguably the relationship between a, the employees and their bosses is one of the most important relationships that you can have in business right so um, it's it's formative in the way that we, um, you know, to our behaviors, to our values, you know, and and, and to culture uh, in general. So, yeah, leadership, big deal. If that's how you uh, create success. Uh, Dr. Oriana, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. I also love this conversation on purpose and sustainable and ethical leadership. I, I love what we're saying about, I think what we're talking about in the beginning right now is the original meaning of the work, which is always a great place to start, why you exist as an organization, why that matters. And then you can always take your own spin branding wise on why that matters, whether or not it's the candles that are bringing loving kindness or they're helping you to keep the feng shui in your house. Um, but I also want to bring up a few other points in this space when we're talking about what we're kind of seeing here in this purpose era in the shift from shareholder focus to a stakeholder focus. So I think there's a lot of other stakeholders that we could consider as we're trying to bring this meaning and purpose into the workplace, such as the impact on the customer, as we've kind of been talking about. I think another one that I, we're seeing up and coming is the supply chain itself and those developing the product. So it, there's a lot of developing countries that have been left behind and even in places of poverty in the United States, where if you're able to empower people who are creating your product, that can be pretty powerful. So 
let's say your candles are being developed by women in Kenya who are being empowered to then send their children to school. That could be a really powerful way to create more meaning and in your brand. And I also think it's important as we think about ethical leadership to make sure we understand where our products are being sourced and who's developing those products and in what conditions. Um, something else is contributions to society. So I know we we already know a lot of companies donate and things like that, but I think that's powerful as well with organizations that have kind of a buy one, give one mentality. So maybe you buy a candle and then you also give one to someone in need who can then share in that ambiance of the kindness of the candle or whatever the situation is. I think then the environmental impacts So someone just shared how Yankee Candle has some statements around this and how are your, how is the glass of your candles being recycled and re-upused? How are you using energy? And then lastly is the employees where you're helping to give employees the economy and access to innovation to drive the vision, but also continuing to check back with them and connect their individual tasks to the big picture. So I think with all this, I agree with what Linda Ann was saying around these things will drive the business outcome eventually. Um, and these things are contributing factors. Yeah, Dr. Arian, I'd love to ask you this question because I'm, I'm fascinated about the relationship between shareholders and the organizations. And how are how are shareholders feeling about no longer being number one, that, you know, stakeholders now may have a stronger voice? Is there any pushback? Yeah, I mean, this is a really kind of challenging topic, so I'd love for other people to weigh in. But I, I heard something recently like this prevalence of the, the focus on the shareholders really emerged in the 70s. Can you imagine we're kind of at the late end of the industrial revolution. We saw some booms in business and it's all about making money and giving the shareholders more. But I, I think that the reality is that that doesn't serve society as much. It contributes to making those who have money more money and doesn't necessarily take into account all of the other people that may be noticed in the supply chain at the customer level, the employees. So I think that that is a little bit and my, my hope is that it's becoming a little bit antiquated and even shareholders can understand that if you make the entire business sustainable from the product to the employees to the customer and the whole process is purpose-driven and sustainable, that's ultimately going to contribute to their well-being as well. But kind of taking them out of the focus and putting that a little bit more in the periphery, like we hope you do well, but you're no longer the focus. You know, I, I love the movie Wall Street, but <laughs> the only thing people remember is one line from the film. Greed is good. And I, and that came along and it, it's almost like it gave permission for people to be greedy. And, and I think that, you know, the power of film, I think that's part of what's contributed to the issues we're seeing today. Um, thank you very much, Dr. Ariana. Alexander, let's go to you. So I'm going to actually build a little bit on that last bit. Um, it starts to fit more. So I've brought this up in the past on the corporate housing aspects and how that definitely has benefits to people because we are into that spot where the money in the U.S. especially has flowed from those shareholders from the bottom to the top to such a degree that so many Americans can't afford housing. Um, Redfin just said that the average house now requires a salary of $115,000 a year, which I think the average American makes somewhere around fifty. So 
I think those are kind of those points where we can also look at kind of the sustainability side from an organization and how do we keep people motivated. It might be simple things. It's just now you have a house that you can actually afford to start a family, which most of Americans are starting to lean against being able to do that. Um, I was thinking about this as part of it in two ways. One, we're definitely into that shareholder spit or bit where we're looking at stuff kind of like the B Corps. Um, on our stakeholders, on the environmental sustainability, a lot of the younger people just don't really feel that connection with companies who aren't being able to align with them to be able to provide an environment where they're going to have any type of future that's worth having at this point, um, which also brings us into kind of the sell side of it, right? How do we really connect with those people, not only as our marketers, but also just keeping our own people? And I think part of that is you do have to find things that are going to motivate people that are going to really resonate with them. Um, patriotism has certainly declined substantially over the years in certain demographics within all countries. Um, so I think there are different ways, though, that you can start to look at that as national security. That has been pretty heavily pushed within some subsets of the political sphere to not say green energy, but to push on national security. And that actually tests really well of getting people who wouldn't support green energy, but they do want to support national security to be able to say, hey, yes, if we're protecting our environment from hackers who could shut down our power grid with sustainable solar panels on my house, then yes, I support that. But green energy, I absolutely won't support. So I think there's quite a few interesting ways that we can look at motivating people within the workplace on these different issues. And and let me ask you, Alexander, because I'm this is what I see, that motivation, it's different for people who are just entering the workforce now as opposed to people my age. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, We've come from two different worlds. You guys didn't have the internet growing up. A lot of the younger kids have never experienced a world where they haven't always been connected and flooded with constant messaging. So yeah, it is a pretty different shift. It's a unique one that we haven't really experienced before as a species, I'd say. Yeah, I've often talked with my daughters who are in their 20s about there was a world before the internet and they cannot imagine a world before the internet. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. This is such an interesting conversation. Uh, When we talk about sustainability and when we bring purpose into it, I think it's important to remember that there's more than one purpose. And whether we're talking about purpose at a corporate level, at an organizational level, or purpose at an individual level, there's going to be multiple purposes for everybody. And some may have a stronger pull than others. But the idea, what Alexander started talking about here, is to be able to use the psychology, the human psychology in such a way where we can get things to appeal to people, to help people to align with the purpose, the sustainability um, associated with an organization. And unfortunately, when it comes to, I hate to say manipulating uh, human psychology, but that's what it comes down to. It has been used in many different ways, some good and some not so good if you think about marketing. But this is the reality in, in which we're living. And we would be remiss to just think that there's going to be one purpose and we have this 
Herculean task of aligning everybody with it because I don't think that's necessarily realistic as an expectation. Different people resonate with different things. And when we look at sustainability, we have to be able to combine different purposes, different things, different ideas in such a way that people who are coming from different points of view will be able to come together somehow within that organization. And whatever their personal drive is, whatever their the pull is for them individually, when we put it all together, somehow it works for an organization and somehow it helps with sustainability for that organization, for the leadership within that organization. The other thing that was so interesting that Alexander brought up, and this goes back to Again, manipulation in in many ways, whether you call that marketing, whether you call that persuasion, whatever you want to call it, if you won't support A, but you support B and I slap B on top of A, and now you feel the need uh, to play along, to go along, to support it, that is nothing new. Internet or no internet, that has been used for a while um, as as long as human psychology has been introduced to the grooming of human behavior, to grooming the masses, to buy what you want them to buy or to vote how you want them to vote, to do what you want them to do, that has been a reality. So we have to very much be aware of the presence of psychology in all of this. And I think this is where biopsychologists can come into the picture Uh, when working with organizations. But as psychologists, we do have a certain responsibility because yes, we can reveal the secrets and help the organization to do what they want to do. But there is a responsibility that we have, an ethical responsibility. How far do we take that? And at what point do we say, "Mm, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. Does it align with my own purpose at that point? So lots and lots of moving parts, lots of components to consider here, but definitely a lot to do with human psychology and um, a lot of opportunities for IO psychologists to intervene, if you will. Do good, not evil. But with that in mind, you know, as an outsider, you know, doctors take a Hippocratic oath, you know, do no harm. I, I sure hope psychologists have something similar. Well, there are codes of ethics, of course, that we have to abide by. Absolutely. I don't think it's as um, well-known or publicized as a medical doctor's oath would be, but it's very much the same. We are not supposed to be doing bad things. It's good you probably didn't hear that. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, it's, you know, we talk about taking, you know, a candle beyond just, you know, something you light for ambiance or anything like that. And I think there's there's a want to tie things into that higher purpose and, you know, connect it to the larger picture because that will make everything uh, easier from getting staff to show up to marketing if you've got this sort of higher banner behind it all. But at some point, does it just become a candle? I think, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how much can you expect employees to buy into the company culture. And if we're talking about, you know, leadership trying to drive a mission and all of that, yeah, leadership has to be on board to, to drive it from the top. But 
you know, can you expect the janitor to say, well, I clean floors in a place, you know, we talk about reframing how people see their work. How, how much of that expectation can you put down, down the chain? Um, you know, especially when you talk about the potential of somebody who just, who just needs the paycheck and they're, they're there to get paid. That's the contract they've entered into. Um, and they may or may not, you know, be aligned with, with the mission. I think there's a certain level where cognitive, cognitive dissonance will get the better of somebody if they're working for a company that's you know a high polluter and they have a high environmental drive they're going to self-select out of that eventually because they just can't take that that noise for too terribly long but you know we think about all of this being positive change and we we talk constantly about you can use these tools for good or for ill um and you know the the truth is in the eye of the beholder on some cases with with more neutral things um so where do you draw the line in the sand? Where do we show grace for organizations who maybe make a misstep or a miscue? Um, and how do you really weed out the ones that are doing it to truly unite with a purpose and those that are doing it as a marketing gimmick? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, I'll leave someone smarter than me to answer that. But first, let's go to Lee. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure I can answer that particular thing. But, uh, but you know, Something that he said did bring to mind, you know, about the uh, the self-selecting and whether or not it's it's actually marketing or if it's true. And you know, sometimes we can't see the man behind the curtain when we're consumers, but usually the people on the inside they they can. And so you can kind of get an idea of are they are they really walking the walk by what are their employees doing? Do they have high turnover? Do they have just crummy reviews on Glassdoor? I mean, there are things if you're really, if you are one of those who really, really wants to dig into a company that you're going to do business with, if it's something that is significant enough to you that you're going to look into the company, there are ways to figure out what their culture is doing. You know, if I look on Glassdoor and man, I mean, my screen starts to smoke, maybe that's not a company I want to do business with. You know, it's just, you know, if I'm not buying a toothbrush, I may not be as concerned, you know, but... You know, and, and there's really there's two kinds, you know, because, you know, the your, the purpose, why you do something is what people connect with. What you do, lots of people do that. Going back to the candles, lots of people make candles and they're very similar. I mean, one candle, the, you know, one pine candle smells a lot like another pine candle. And so what sets that apart? You know, and then you've got your basic things, you know, your marketing, your price, you know, whatever else. But then it comes down to things like, well. Do I connect with what that company, you know, why, what's behind that? So if the company is like, well, um, and I forget, I think it was Dr. Martha that said something about, uh, uh, or maybe it was Dr. Arian. I, I forget. You guys are also smart. It blends together. But uh, talking about uh, someone in, you know, Africa or something making the candle. And so if you go, what, what sets us apart is that the why we do this is that we are providing a product that people, you know, use in their homes that is providing the opportunity for other people to have homes. Whew. Okay, so now maybe I'll pay the extra dollar for, you know, this candle that looks just like that candle because, you know, there's something else behind there. And, you know, when you look a little bit behind that and go, okay, well, they really are doing that. And you know, and of course, you get the, the humble brags and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's some of that. They're like, woo, look at us. You know, but, you know, if it's like small print on the back of the product that says, hey, a dollar from your proceeds are going to go to support, uh, you know, uh, the the people making this in Rwanda or whatever, you know, to make to, for clean water or whatever it is. 
it's not the selling point. It's a, oh, by the way, this is what you're doing when you help us. Well, now I'm looking a little different. Now, if it's on the front, it was big bold letters, you don't buy this because it's going to, well, now I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's, you know, buyer beware kind of thing going on there. Um, but, you know, but there's two different things as, where, as far as purpose, too, because you got the purpose for those on the inside and you have the purpose for those on the outside. So I can have just the best stated purpose in the world for what I want to do for the people out there. And I might treat my employees like crap. And those don't line up. There's some cognitive dissonance going on. Um, I could also really be treat, you know, trying to treat my employees really well, but just turn out a crummy product. You know, and maybe we're, you know, maybe I'm paying my people well, but we're, we're supporting, you know, strip mining in Africa, you know, and then, you know, and to, to the point made earlier about, you know, a lot of people working, they're going to be like, yeah, I can't do this. I, I ethically can't do this. I can't work for you anymore. So there's, there's several different aspects to this. And as we get more socially conscious, it does, it does. Them. And to, to Dr. Pat's uh, point in the, in the chat earlier, it all does come down to the leadership. Uh, not just at the top, but all the way through the company, your mid leaders, your uh, your undefined leaders, you know, those who are leaders, but not in a position with a title. Um, are they leading by example? Are they walking the walk? Do you feel good about going to work because you believe what they're putting out in front of you? Or you kind of like, mm, you know, I don't know. So there, there's a lot of aspects, but this is a complex issue. I, I'm loving this conversation. So I'm going to shut up for other people talking. You know, though, I'd love for there to be a national, you know, nationwide poll on: Do you enjoy going to work? Do you want to, you know, really sort of gauge people's willingness to get up in the morning and go to work with a smile on their face? Uh, speaking of smiles, Brendan, nice to see you back. Go ahead. Uh, thank you, Tom. Um, I think there's so many different layers to this conversation, especially when we're talking about um, sustainability and almost our oath to other human beings into our own planet, as well as, you know, what we're doing from a business perspective, because I, I almost been on contracts where, again, I don't necessarily think I would have the biggest deal with it because trying to help people create a better work-life balance, no matter what that industry is. Um, but, you know, something in the firearms industry might be something that somebody else is not comfortable with, but I still look at that and I have to take the step back and go, I'm still helping somebody else to provide for their family, regardless of the work that they're doing. And if, if this didn't exist, what else could they possibly be doing? And I think as, as IO professionals, I definitely see a lot of companies that just put values on a piece of paper to try to use it exactly as we've been discussing. It's, it's marketing materials. It's not real. It's not something they're living out. But as IO professionals, if that's something that they really want to implement within their organization, you know, we have those skills to build these values into their employee development programs, into their performance reviews, um, help to further along employee recognition programs. Um, so we recognize work that's well done and, and ultimately for sustainability of, of businesses. Um, one big one that just keeps coming to mind is like the banks that all went bankrupt in 08. And, you know, their mission was to provide monies to people, but obviously they were doing a lot of unethical things and that's why it, it, it failed, fell apart and um, they were bailed out. So that was considered the ultimate, they'll never go anywhere. And honestly, a part of me thinks that we should have let them go someplace else and fail because somebody else would have rose to take their position. So I think that that's the other thing, point that I want to bring up is that as a society, sustainability, we haven't allowed certain things to fail when we should have. 
and then the competition would have came in to take its place. You make a very good point. Thank you very much for that. Linda, let's go to you. So with regard to sustainability and leadership, one of the things that I, concepts I try to help people understand is that leadership is generational, right? You have impact uh, on a generational level with leaders, just the way that that parents have an impact on their children and that the the things and methodologies that you use for parenting and has an impact on the way that they will parent and so forth. The way that we behave as leaders has that same model of impact where um, if you have a clear idea, and this is one of the things that leaders need to understand for themselves, is who do you want to be as a leader? What do you want to model as a leader? And how do you want to behave? Then understand how much impact every step of that will have not only on the people that you lead, but on the people that they lead and on the people that it's like um, you have uh, leadership grandchildren, right? <laughs> um, so that so it's really important to understand that everything that you do as a leader will have a longstanding impact. And so by understanding that and being very purposeful in how you lead, you can have we can create a situation where leadership, great leadership becomes self-perpetuating. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Um, And so, and just to, one of the things that I, first questions I'll ask somebody if they want to develop leaders is they'll talk about a meeting and I'll ask them, so who are you taking with you? Who are you taking with you to help you them see and model and all those kinds of things? Um, Also in the, in the way of sustainability, um, you know, to what Alexander had mentioned, and I've mentioned a couple of times here is, is the structure for a B Corp. And B Corps are kind of under the radar radar right now, but B Corps support both the environmental, green, social sustainability, as well as the sustainability within the organization. Um, So when you look at the structure of B Corps, um, they hit both of those levels of sustainability. And, you know, both my daughter and I, if there's kind of all things being equal and, and where there's this choice between um, a, a B Corp and not a B Corp, I'm going to go patronize the B Corp. And I think it's going to be one of those overnight successes that nobody knew about that's been around for a decade. Um, so the structure for that is, is even if you don't go through the process, which is not an easy process, you know, um, just using that, that structure can really help an organization. And, um, and and just one final thing is when Nick said you you can only push down the chain so much as connection to purpose. I don't see being able to have people connected to purpose by pushing it down. It has to come from developing it within those, those people. And then they become part of that foundation. So that's my three cents. Worth more than a dollar. Uh, Jeremy, we're going to go to you next, but let me ask you a question first. How many major corporations in the United States have an IO psychologist as part of the C-suite? Is that for me or Linda Ann? That's for you. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to guess very few, um, many, I've had, I've had a lot of conversations with many of you here. I really think that in five to 10 years, that is going to start to change where, because when you look at I, IO is really the, the, the strategic aspect of organizations. It's really steering committees, driving organizations. 
So I, I believe that within five to 10 years, call it 15, now nah, I call it 10, that we're going to start seeing that, that there's, that there's going to be um, a specific position and then organizations will restructure their entire human capital management system underneath that. But right now, not many that I know of. There are some, but I'm in terms of like high, high up, I mean, towards top management, yes. But right there, not many that I know of, at least not many of that I know of that are working in that IO psychology role specifically. So I'll add that caveat. Not many yet, but it's coming. Yeah. So grab yourself an IO psychology. <laughs> Andrea, let's go to you. Thanks. I, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking, Tom. So I'm so glad you brought that up. As as the HR practitioner who is now a student in IO um, and my organization it has said to me, you need to think about how you can bring this back. You need to think about how you can internally market this because our existing IOs may not necessarily be doing that, right? So as an IO in an organization, sometimes you need to, as, as I'm seeing it, take a role in marketing your services. It, it, it's not, they're not gonna, just because you're there doesn't mean they're necessarily going to come to you, right? And so what are you going to do to try to influence the process? And I, I caught on to the point about incorporating in, um, employee development. I thought about that as well. If you are making sure that you're talking about this in terms of leadership programs and and there's an IO perspective in there, great. You may have to go to your leadership development program though and say to them, hey, I've got some great ideas rather than expect them to come to you for your input. Um, so that was one thought. Another thought that I had about this was there's a lot happening in organizations from a career development perspective. I'm certainly in that role before um, I started my degree. And so I see there's a piece there, like Linda Ann talked about, of meeting the employee purpose versus the organizational purpose. I think there may be more of a role for IOs there too, to market themselves, to say, hey, um, to make sure this isn't just skewed to the organization and aligning an organization to an employee to an organization's purpose, how do you make sure that it's mutually beneficial, right? For both um, the employee and the organization. So I think there's sort of some ways that as IOs, there can be outreach. Another piece is, I hear a lot in my organization about senior leaders really making an effort at their town halls to be able to talk about um, mission and bringing employees in to make sure they truly understand the mission and purpose. Great way for IOs to reach out and say, hey, you know, senior leader, do you have a meeting come out, coming up? Can I help you in terms of crafting that message? They may turn you down, but I think that's yet another avenue that IOs can take in terms of marketing their services to bring value to the organization. I, I like that a lot. Uh, great ideas. Patrick, let's go to you. Well, uh, to build on what Andrea was just talking about, and, and you know, IO, we talked about this last night in a session. IO is everywhere. If you look at any organization, IO can have that impact anywhere and everywhere in the organization. So do we need somebody at the top? That would be incredibly helpful. But if you can get people, you know, with that IO mentality and background and practice scattered through the organization, that's going to be helpful as well. But 
you know, I think about my clients in a variety of different industries. IO is everywhere within their organizations. And then to kind of maybe put a, a, a bow on what we've been talking about and summarize it, you know, oftentimes with my clients, we talk about the combination of what and how gets you to sustainability. Anybody can get result, results short term, but it's the how that helps you. So I can get results, but I can leave dead bodies in my wake. I can I can piss off vendors and customers. I can do whatever. But from a sustainability standpoint, how are you leading? How are you developing? How are you engaging the workforce? And that can, and it's a multiplicative relationship. I think Lee talked about it earlier. You know, my team is wonderful and they're all happy, but we don't do, we don't accomplish anything. If it's a multiplicative relationship, if you zero out one side, it zeroes out the entire equation and you don't get the results. And what we talk about for results are not only the financial, that's obviously important, but operational, people, customer, um, community, environmental, whatever's in, in the in on the list of important things to that particular organization. And if we can get them to push the pause button and think about not only what are we trying to accomplish, but how are we going to get there? What role does leadership and culture and employee engagement and all the other great stuff that comes from IO, because IO is everywhere, how does that contribute to sustainability and business results? Well, now I want CBOC to get the IO is everywhere buttons and, <laughs> and we can wear those. Uh, thank you very much, Patrick. Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, certainly back to kind of what Linda Ann said. Um, I think that you do have kind of a general and generational impact and sports can always kind of be kind of a microcosm of that. You talk about NFL coaches and, and coaching trees and you say, well, this person was influenced by this person and so on. And you kind of have that family tree and you see how those things go off in that direction. And I think um, it's harder because it's less, you know, publicized, but you can see that um, in business development and, and things like that as well. Um, and I think as we talk about sustainability, you have to remember that it is a long game. If you're going to take a strategy or a mission and incorporate it into an organization, it's not going to happen overnight. You may have the janitor who's vehemently against whatever you're trying to get to. That's fine. Over time, you've got to get the right people on the bus and then get them in the right places to succeed and be a part of it. So we're we're talking about sustainability. Um, I think sometimes from a perspective of it's already there and it's evident what the organization is doing. But I think if you're talking about it from the starting point of tomorrow, we are going to commit to donating to the homeless um, as part of our mission. And, you know, all of a sudden you're going to the reactions and the, and the change and the frustration uh, how do you get past that initial noise? How do you sustain that purpose? And how do you, you know, get the right people and the right leaders and the right voices all in the right spots? Yeah, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, Dr. Ma Matthew, let's go to you. So listening to everybody share their thoughts, things came to mind. One, going back to the comment that Dr. Ariana had brought earlier, the, the concept uh the shareholders, number one, that's, that is an outdated model. And you know, when you think about it, why can so much of business innovate and evolve and, and refocus yet that piece hasn't, or it's, it's taken a little bit longer to, to, to shift or update companies are seeing the benefits, the, those long-term benefits uh, and high profile leaders are speaking up and encouraging rethinking that fundamental model, the how that was just talking about in Alexander and certified B Corps, that is a big shift. It's it's kind of flying under the radar a little bit, but consumer choices are changing 
and consumers are wanting more sustainable death products, certified B Corps, whether you're certified or just following that model as a guide, those leaders are, are leading the, uh, the global movement for an inclusive, equitable, and sustainable economy. The organizations that embrace that and innovate are going to lead and IOs can help navigate that change. We are change management experts. And finally, uh, what Brandon and Nick were saying about leadership and ethical decision, that's also that spot where IOs have an opportunity to help guide leaders and conversations, whether you're an internal or an external consultant. We can help guide through data-informed decision-making. That's really going to keep that ethical piece in the conversation and really allow organizations to be sustainable, not just from an environmental standpoint, but from a long-term operational success. They're going to be here today, tomorrow, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, if they follow that model and remain sustainable and follow ethical parameters, guidelines. IOS can help. Thank you very much for that, Dr. Matthew. Uh, Jeremy, we're down to about four minutes. Uh, how have we been doing? We're doing great. I've got a couple things to add in here from the, the the articles we have today that I think tie a lot of these things in together. So the one um, one thing here from the Bendel article, it's called Seeking Sustainability, Sustainability Leadership. Apparently, when you t- think of sustainability leadership, just those two words together, there's not a whole lot of research on that. I think thinking of one, because we're, we're approaching this for many different ways. So pick the way that matches this. And this is what it refers to. Leadership for sustainability requires extraordinary abilities. These are leaders who can read and predict through complexity, think through complex problems, engage groups in a dynamic and adaptive organizational change way, and have the emotional intelligence to adaptively engage with their own emotions associated with this complex problem solving. What does that mean? Apparently it's not for the, for the faint of heart. And it says that we need more right here. The authors say we need more remarkable individuals to turn the tide of unsustainability. I'm going to provide a little more information on this in terms of, I talked earlier about post uh, industrial age versus post industrial age. And then I'm going to share two really um, uh, uh, hitting examples of this that that were provided in this particular book. Um, And one of the references, and you can, it's open access, so you can uh, look at it. It's called Purpose Driven Organizations um, by, edited by Carlos Ray. So that's the one that I'm looking at now. But generally, like here are some of the things that I think tie a lot of this together in terms of now a manager will make sure new employees understand what to do and how to do it, but rarely do they care, truly care about why they do it. So we look at the old logic of as long as somebody does their job, it doesn't matter why they do the job, but this, but it mentions that this logic drove organizations for the last century. But when we look at future-focused, purpose-driven organizations, it's probably not going to go that well. From the purpose of, from the the new perspective of post-industrial management logic, it's it's interesting to think about it this way. The meaning of work for an individual is something unique of immense value and perceived as his or her deepest purpose in life. Some call this the anthropological view of organizations, the new management logic of purpose, which is really interesting. How many people 
we have people that are very job, uh, highly job committed, work committed. They might not have high organizational commitment, but they've got very high job commitment. So that's a topic of another conversation. But, and it brings me back to that quote by Connolly and Zigger, Connolly and Zigarami, every day, uh, the, the passions of millions of people die at the front doorstep of their workplace. It just, it strikes me. The meaning of, I'm going to read it again. The meaning of work for an individual is something unique of immense value and perceived as his or her deepest purpose in life. It's a lot to ponder, but I think it goes into this. The old, when you look at the old logic of management, that these authors take these three main traits that they think will become dominant in organizations. The first is personal purpose. The second is self-management. It's where the personal purpose flourishes within an organization. And then the third trait is unity, which is the natural connection between the personal and the organization's purpose, which goes back to what I said earlier of this Venn diagram, where you have organizational purpose in the middle and all these circles interconnecting and locking with individual purpose below. And the other thing mentioned is there's some there's something about the the increasing and especially prominent thought process and feelings of the millennial generation and having to and being able to keep the interest and in more purposeful living aspect of work and we this can't can no longer be neglected there was talk earlier about shareholders versus okay but organizations are thinking more about their people organizations aren't going to do this if it's not profitable to them. They're not going to be thinking, oh, we need to we need to think about what our employees' purpose is and what their passion is if it's not going to be profitable. They're just not they're just not going to do it. So I think when it's said and done, plus some of the data that I mentioned earlier about the purpose-driven workplace, experience all these percentages of more effectiveness, you know, better bottom lines and on and on. But it's 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 interesting. I want to I want to close with this um oh, we're we're out we're out of time, but hey, guess what? These are two really striking notes that to me don't fit exactly in. These are just open questions. All right. So on November 26, 2008, 10 armed terrorists seized the hotel, the Taj Mahal Palace in Mumbai. Without hesitation, staff members in the middle of what was described as a warlike situation formed a human chain helping guests to escape by shielding them from the terrorist bullets. No one ordered this. There are no manuals or instructions on how to act in this extreme situation. Some of the staff were wounded and others died as a result of, of their decision. Not surprisingly, managers of the hotel had no explanation for the staff's selfless actions. That's just something to ponder. That is, uh, it's just, it's very striking to me. And somehow... I'm going to figure out how exactly it fits into this conversation, but it's just so striking. My mind can't go there yet, but I'll turn it back over to, to you, Tom. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, and we are at a time. We're actually a little over time. Uh, so once again, a great conversation. Thank you very much to everyone who contributed today. I thank you everyone who was just dropping by to hear what we had to say. And to those of you listening to the work, cookie podcast, uh, we're here every Thursday at 12 Eastern. Uh, see if you can actually Join us for um, on one of the live events and share your voice with all these other brilliant people. And with that, Jeremy, I think uh, it's time to go and we'll see everyone in one week's time. And if you wouldn't mind counting us out. Beautiful as always. Counting out at five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.